Hello and a very friendly welcome to your Bible teaching programme, Search for Truth. We're continuing our study of the Bible book called Romans today with Brian. The whole of Romans is the Apostle Paul's defence of the Gospel. It was a time in world history when the Apostle Paul lived, which is referred to as the glory that was Rome. When the epic achievements of ancient Rome, whether military, architectural or institutional, from the Colosseum to the spread of Roman law, was displayed throughout most of Europe and beyond in the vast Roman Empire. And today's talk is called glorification. But it's a far different concept than the glory that was Rome. The glorification, this time, is in the Gospel. And now here's Brian to give the New Testament point of view. Thanks, John. Having dealt with condemnation, justification and then sanctification in our previous studies of the Gospel, as we work our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, we now come to glorification. Let's enjoy a section of chapter 8 of Romans, from verse 28 until the end. And we know, Paul says, that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Bible teacher John Stott once pointed out, helpfully I think, that there are really five unshakable convictions in the first verse we read. That was verse 28. Let's hear it again, just that one verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul starts by saying, we know. Let's explore five things, according to Paul, which we can know about the troubles and difficulties that often intrude into our lives. But first of all, let's be clear that we're talking about knowing not understanding. On the basis of what the Bible shares with us in this great verse, we can be convinced about five things. We can have these unshakable convictions about what's happening to us whenever we encounter trouble and all of a sudden life hurts. And we're going to get to grips with them in a moment, starting with the first of them. But I really need to emphasise that this kind of knowing is about a certain perspective we can have on the various difficulties of life. But it's not an explanation of why these specific things are happening to us. We may not understand any of the details of God's plan in permitting trouble in our lives. Job, who surely suffered more than anyone else in the whole of the Old Testament, 
he never got to discover the reason why all the evils that he suffered started piling up on him. We, the readers, in the comfort of our armchair, as we read the Bible, we're let in on the secret. But he never was. He simply learnt to trust in God in the humbling appreciation of glimpsing how much God's wisdom exceeded his own. So having clarified that, let's see what we really can know about what's happening when life hurts, based on God's revelation to us in Romans 8 and verse 28. The first thing we learn is, God is at work in our lives. When we read, God causes all things to work together, we should recognise that God is the active subject of the verb. It's the sovereign God who causes the things that happen to us to work together. In reality, then, he's the one at work in our lives throughout all the troubles we are facing, unpleasant as they doubtless are. It might feel as if God has turned his back on us and abandoned us, but feelings are very different from faith. This verse teaches us to believe, and so to know that it is God who is working out his purpose, even at difficult times for us. Which brings us to the second of the five truths in this verse. The first was that God is at work in us. And the second is that God is at work in us in all things. Not just in the good times, but also, and perhaps more so, in the bad times. The times when bad things happen to us. C.S. Lewis put it slightly differently. He said God whispers to us in our pleasures and shouts to us in our pain. Pain being his megaphone. Physical pain is a means by which our body warns us against things that can damage us, such as a child learning not to play with fire. To use another analogy, in times of drought, trees grow deeper roots in search of water. Later, this experience brings with it the reward of greater stability through a better developed root structure extending throughout the soil. The bad time of drought actually left the tree better equipped to face future storms. We've covered two of the five unshakable convictions hidden like treasure in Romans 8 and verse 28. So far, we've seen that God is at work in us at all times. The third point begins to deal with God's intention in allowing his child to pass through such trouble. The verse informs us that God is at work in us at all times for the good, that is, for our longer term and future good. We're not expected to fool ourselves into thinking that the present trouble that we're passing through is really a good thing in itself. No, for that would be to part company with reality. Trials are, by definition, not pleasant and so not enjoyable. But we can, by God's grace, through faith in his word, come to regard the present difficulty as a dreaded friend, or even as a glorious intruder, to quote two Christians I've met who've passed through life-changing illnesses or accidents. Perhaps the analogy here is the tough time we have at the dentist, but worth it when we're left free of toothache as a result. In the same way, we can pass through challenging, growing pains in Christian life as we develop more of the character God desires to see in us, and later we may look back and be satisfied. The fourth truth is a reminder that God is our loving Father and will not cause his child needless pain. 
It's the Apostle John who says it very plainly when he says that everyone who loves is born of God. 1 John 4 verse 7. So those who love, being God's children, are the ones for whose good God works everything in our lives. For we learn that God is at work in us in all things for the good of those who love him. This is a necessary limitation. Verse 28 of Romans 8, for which we are bringing out this teaching, only applies to God's children, to those who have put their faith in Christ and so become his own. Finally, we learn our fifth truth, that the God who works in us, in all things, for our good, that is the good of those who love him, is the God who called us at the beginning, when we first responded to the Christian good news message, and who is continuing to shape us according to his ongoing purpose in us. Everything that happens to us is purposeful if we submit to God's plan. And that ongoing purpose is shared in the very next verse, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Clearly, it's God's purpose that we should become like his Son, Jesus. That's our destiny. All believers in the world to come will be perfectly like Christ. But God takes great delight in shaping our lives down here, through trials if needed, to reflect more and more the character of the one who entered into his own glories by the pathway of sufferings. The next verse, verse 30, expands on the plan. It's a plan that spans eternity. Some have referred to it as the golden chain. It certainly gives confirmation of our eternal security in Christ. And there are four links in this unbreakable chain. The predestined are also those who are called and are again the same as those who are justified and are also those who will be glorified. The same persons are in view at each stage. It's interesting to note that the final one, glorified, is set in the past tense, even though it clearly hasn't happened yet. That just goes to show that it's certain to happen, so much so that God treats it as already having taken place. That underlines the fact that no one who begins this four-stage journey is going to fail to complete it. We are secure in Christ from eternity to eternity. Not only is Christ to be glorified in us, but we are to be glorified in Christ. That's even more remarkable and is the ultimate display of our sanctification. We will then be as much like Christ as it's possible for created beings to be. Coming now to verse 32, it's worth noticing that the all things mentioned there are given to exactly those for whom Christ was delivered up. This refers back to those already described as predestined, called, justified and glorified. Only those who start off as having been given by the Father to the Son will receive all things. Christ's death will be fully effective for all those for whom it was intended to be so. What comes across here is the grandeur of the God-centred view of our salvation through the gospel. And even the creation will in future enter the glorious freedom of the children of God. Thank you.
I do hope you enjoyed today's study talk and I'd like to remind you there's a transcript book of all the talks in this series which would be helpful if you want to pursue further study. So please let me remind you again how you can freely receive a copy. Firstly, it's available online and you can obtain it by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Alternatively, you can write to us and request a hard copy book be posted to you. Just ask for the title, Putting the Gospel First, and don't forget to include your own postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DYUK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. It's been a great pleasure for me to enjoy your company today, and I hope it was the same for you. Many thanks for giving us your time. Next week, God willing, we have part six in this eight part series, and Brian's going to study predestination in Paul's letter to the Romans. So do join me if you can, please, same time next week. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. Praise you, be there, and have your long ago. Joy